The following podcast contains alcohol-enhanced conversations about alcohol, as well as a potential for discussions about other topics of dubious, disturbing, possibly offensive, but usually hilarious interest. The opinions stated herein are solely of the person stating them, and any endorsement of these opinions by any other party is not implied. Foul language is likely, but intolerant viewpoints are not. Listener intoxication is advised. and welcome to the ninth episode of the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Ed. And tonight, we thought we'd stay in the era of whiskey coming to America that we highlighted on our last podcast. For July 4th. The American Founding Fathers and their relationship with whiskey. And we are going to highlight two whiskey Founding Fathers. That is, gentlemen who distilled whiskey in the revolutionary era. And Ed is going to tell you who they are. Right. So we thought it'd be great to highlight two whiskeys named after Elijah Craig, small batch, 1789, and Evan Williams, small batch, 1783. And they have to be made by the same distillery. Heaven Hill Distillery, which we talked about uh, in episode three when we went to the whiskey tasting. And they had a woman there who had five or six whiskeys. And the magic booklet that the old woman. <laughs> the wizened, strong old woman kept for us. Kept for us. And uh, I have we it on still my lap right it. now. I'm looking through right now what we're talking about That's it. Right. Even though I've done my research, it's hard not to flip through it. It's so informative. That's right. So uh, do you want to talk about the whiskeys first? Or do you want to go through the history? Well, of, of all, Heaven Hill? First of all, I want to say that Emily, who was the area manager for New Jersey for Heaven Hill, who we met to whiskey tasting. Very knowledgeable. Very knowledgeable. Wonderful person. Uh, we talked a lot about Elijah Craig, and we talked about larceny within, I think it's Bernheim, which is a, a wheat whiskey, and some of the older Elijah Craig's that we've never tried. And also something that is getting a lot of hype right now is Henry McKenna tenure, which- It's very good. I got one for my 50th birthday. I didn't drink any of that. Oh, you did. I did not drink any you of that. You forgot. I will talk <laughs> there's about no, it. There's no way that you didn't we'll have some of it. I had a whole bottle of it here. We'll talk about it later, but I, I never <laughs> tried that in my life. We will talk about this later. We'll talk about this when we're done podcasting, because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you had a whole bottle of, of uh, Henry McKenna. I never had it. But anyway, so- We've talked about Henry Hill before. Um, Heaven Hill. Uh, well, Henry Hill was Henry a, Hill he was was a the, mobster from Goodfellas. <laughs> he was a Goodfellas, right? He's a good fella, Henry Hill. But we're talking about Heaven Hill. <laughs> he was a good fella. <laughs> Henry Hill was. <laughs> uh, get your shine box. You're what, a, am I funny? My name a clown? Not here for your fucking amusement? Is that what I am? You know what you said. So anyway, what's interesting about Heaven Hill Distillery, they're not owned by a big conglomerate. They are owned by a single private family, and they have been since 1935. The Heaven family who live on a hill? They were founded <laughs> right after the repeal of Prohibition in 1935. Don't ignore me. I'm trying to ignore you. <laughs> 
Because Scott knows, as I do, that the most interesting thing about Heaven Hill is that they brought in a master distiller from a rival distillery, actually. Mm. The Jim Beam family, yeah. all right, have provided the master distiller for Heaven Hill for their entire history. Parker Beam began working at Heaven Hill Distillery in 1960 alongside his father, Earl, who was, at the time, the master distiller when the company was founded in 1935. So, Parker Beam passed away in 2017, okay? So now I'm not sure exactly who is the master distiller at this point. It doesn't point. say in the magic booklet? It 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 has some names listed. I feel like it's it's kind of like a running back by committee type of situation. Right, right. But think about this. From nineteen thirty-five until two thousand seventeen, it was two guys who were the master distiller of Heaven Hill, mm. father and son. Mm. That's just extraordinary consistency. For a distillery. Now, the Elijah Craig and the Evan William. Right. So, Elijah Craig whiskey is offered in both small batch and single barrel bottlings. Uh, the small batch variation, which we're drinking today, is, I think, a very complex flavor. Scott and I disagree with how much I love it and he loves it. I've said this before. I always dismiss the Elijah Craig. And then I taste it and I like it. And then after I have something else, I'm like, well, it wasn't that great. And then Ed is always here to remind me that me it off. actually was actually pretty good. It's won a lot of whiskey taste. It doesn't stick had. with me for some reason. And I don't really know why. Because I do enjoy it. I do. I mean, I liked it better when it was $28 and nobody knew about it. But I feel like now it's, it's $35. Man, that happens a lot. Like the half gallon. an award and then suddenly. Well, they give awards like I know. R- like Russian generals give awards like to Like pa- pedophiles give out candy. Damn. <laughs> Where the hell did that come from? Sorry. Anyway. So many times we brought Elijah Craig to a whiskey tasting. And I mean, Basil Hayden would reserve really good bourbons in the house. And it has done well. But here is the counter to that. It's becoming more popular. And the half gallon was $63.99 today in my store. Next to it was the bullet rye and the bullet bourbon for $49.99. I'm sorry. I can't put Elijah Craig $15 more than bullet bourbon. Scott and I have a whole price matrix that we will, uh, we're still working on and fine tuning. I mean, I said we, but it's actually his. But um, <laughs> I'm taking half credit for it. But it's his. But it'll say the herd Steinmetz matrix, but it's really is. So that's why uh, my name's first, right? It's a herd, herd, herd Steinmetz matrix. <laughs> herd. It rhymes with nerd. Right. He came up with it. <laughs> but he needs me to help balance his opinions on whiskey. Like Elijah, he was going to give this like an uh, eight. I was going to give it a seven. Yeah, you're out of your fucking mind with a seven. This I gave it an eight and a half. <laughs> Right, so we, we came together and gave it an eight, didn't we? Or whatever, we'll look later, it's fine. I think no I beat cares. him up to an eight and a half, because to be honest- I think you did, you did, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not quite as good as Basil Hayden and Woodford, but I feel like it's running right with those two. It's got some real good complex flavors. Well, if you remember the whiskey tasting that I had at my house before I moved last uh, summer- I do remember. Just about a year ago, Yep. Elijah Craig came in second, behind our favorite, Bullet Rye. Right. Over, over Woodford. Over Woodford. O- over a, Woodford, lot, of, Woodford, a lot of favorites, yeah, yeah. over Angel's Envy Bourbon, yep. over- uh, High West Double Rye, Four Roses Single Barrel, uh, the Hill Rock. The Hill Rock's $100. It's a delicious, really high-level whiskey, right. and it lost to two $35 bottle of yeah. whiskeys, Elijah Craig and yeah. Bullet. Yeah. We didn't know what we were tasting. Was blind. So was double blind. So again, I'm always surprised at how good Elijah Craig is when I taste it. And for the price of it, even though, as Ed said, it's been creeping up because people have been starting to realize how good it is. Yeah. It was um, legit 32 for a long time. Now, yeah. 36 that's $4. And, and it's, it's still very good. Yeah. So 
Elijah Craig was born in 1738 in Orange County, Virginia, an area that eventually became Kentucky because Virginia was uh, very large at the time. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. In 1764, at the age of 26, he became a Baptist preacher along with two of his brothers. Although religious, he was a bit of a rebel. And by 1771, he'd been jailed at least twice for preaching without a license from the Anglican Church. Now, wow, rem- that's a thing? Yeah, well, remember, this was pre-revolutionary America when mm. the Church of England and the English oh, monarchy right, 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 right. were basically one and the same. True. But even after gaining independence from England after the war, and even after the religious freedoms that were enacted in Virginia at the time, okay. Baptists in particular were still persecuted, in mm. part because they would preach to anybody, mm. including mixed congregation of freemen and slaves. Oh, wow. Baptists, in fact, encouraged plantation owners to free their slaves, and many did. But eventually, Baptists later relented to the increasingly widespread practice of slavery in the South and instead focused on getting slave owners to uphold their Christian values toward the goal of making the lives of slaves better. By the time he was 50, Elijah Craig, in the year 1788, had been busy doing all the things. Listen to this list. He purchased a 1,000 acres of land and founded the city of Lebanon, which changed its name to Georgetown after the revolution in honor of George Washington. He built and became the pastor of the new Baptist church. He had established Kentucky's first classical school, which taught Greek, Latin, and the sciences that eventually became Georgetown College in Kentucky, which is still around today. And he built Kentucky's first lumber mill, first paper mill, first hemp rope factory, and first cloth manufacturing. Well, there you go. However, the reason we're even talking about him today is that in 1789, when he was 51, Ed's age, (laughs) he founded a distillery in Fayette County, Virginia, now called Scott County, Kentucky. And the only reason I mention it is because it's Scott County. Scott County. That's right. Because of his other accomplishments, he is now often cited as the inventor of bourbon, as well as the first person to age the spirit in a charred oak barrel. However, these claims are hotly disputed because there's good evidence that dozens of distillers had already been creating a corn-based spirit that was being called bourbon to distinguish it from rye. By the time that Bourbon County itself was formed in 1785, which is four years before Eliza was even distilling. So calling him the father of bourbon, like the father of bourbon, is incorrect. One of the founding fathers? Absolutely. Well, their so, quote on the website says, he didn't join the bourbon movement, he started it. No, incorrect. <laughs> Uh, As for the barrel aging, there is no evidence to suggest that he or anybody else was distilling bourbon any differently than anyone at the time, which is to say not aging it in charred oak barrels. Later in life, he ran a plantation of over 4,000 acres and even opened a retail store in nearby Frankfurt. Elijah Craig died in Georgetown, Kentucky. By then, it had become a state. Okay. In 1808, a rich and prosperous man at the age of 70. Wow. He, he only lived to 70 did all that. Yeah. He was an accomplished man. All right, then. So, the um, so Evan Williams. Yes. What do we think of it? Um, very interesting experience because when we first poured it, I didn't really like it. I was like, wow. Compared to the uh, Elijah Craig, I found it to be a little harsh. Yeah. However, like we talk about on one of our shorts – Water and ice does change the expression of the spirit. And as it sat with the ice, I felt like it opened up some flavors that I hadn't initially appreciated. And I liked it a lot better, probably by my third and fourth sip than I did on my first. Scott? Yeah, absolutely. Because I thought it was okay when I got it. I was a little disappointed by it. I thought it was going to be better. But as it sat in the ice and then, whoa, 
this is actually pretty good. It changed. I, and it kind of holds up. I'm not going to say it's better than Elijah Craig. It's even not. Even with me and my uh, Elijah Craig it's bias, not. it's not better than Elijah Craig. It's but it's a small batch, just like Elijah Craig is. It's proof to a lower level, 86. And it's the same mash bill. <laughs> So the only difference is whatever the master distiller is deciding that Evan Williams small batch 1783 should taste like. Well, I think it's important to note that the mash bill for Heaven Hill is very, very interesting because it seems like no matter what they put into a bottle, except when you get into their wheat whiskey or their wheated bourbons, every uh, bourbon that they have is the exact same mash bill. So it's 78 corn, 10% rye, and then 12% barley. All of them. All of them are exactly the same. Crazy. Barrel char level number three, and their barrel entry proof, like what the proof is when they put it in the barrel, is exactly the same for whatever Evan Williams or Elijah Craig you come across, and even their flagship brand, the Heaven Hill. That's very interesting. It so really- very, very unique. Very unique for such different tasting whiskeys to be the exact same match bill. And we've talked about it on this podcast a lot, how you proof it, and by the way that you age it, makes all the difference in the world. So they're sort of like controlling the variables and letting how long they age it and where, where they age it right. in the warehouse determine almost everything about mm. the taste. I just find that fascinating. Okay, so Evan Williams, the man, let's talk about him for a minute. Please. And uh, there, there are many similarities between him and, and Elijah Craig, uh, right. almost uh, uncanny. So Evan Williams was not born in America. He was an immigrant. So he was born in the tiny hamlet of Dale in Pembrokeshire, part of Wales, in 1755. So he was about 17 years younger than Elijah Craig. As a boy, he always dreamt of sailing across the ocean to the New World. And in 1780, at the age of 25... He did just that, eventually settling nearly the same area of Virginia where Elijah Craig had already been living. Now, Evan started out as a, a homestead farmer, but eventually, almost as if he was in competition of a person he'd probably never met yet, Elijah Craig, he would also do all the things. He was a stonemason, a building contractor, a harbor master, an inventor, a businessman, a civil leader, and of course, a distiller. He set up his distillery on the banks of the Ohio River in Louisville in 1783, which is why 1783 is on the bottle of bourbon that bears his name. He started distilling six years before Elijah Craig did, and there's even a plaque on the spot of his original distillery today that declares him as Kentucky's first commercial distiller. Now, as with most things whiskey from this era, this probably wasn't completely true, but I think the word commercial here might be key. Because even though there were people distilling whiskey before 1783 in Kentucky, there weren't people necessarily selling it. Oh, okay. And he's also sometimes known as Kentucky's first licensed distiller. So he was sort of an outspoken and controversial guy. He was okay. a city trustee. And legend has it that he was known to bring a jug of whiskey to town meetings where it was, of course, promptly confiscated because that was inappropriate. However, later when the jug was returned to him, it was always empty, which might be how he was so successful at his various <laughs> other business ventures um, By because by 1801, there are federal licensed documents from the era attesting to the fact that he owned at least three whiskey stills at his distillery, which combined were capable of producing 360 gallons of whiskey at a time. And in 1810, just two years after Elijah Craig, 
Evan Williams died. Also, a rich and prosperous man at the age of 55. He was young, yeah. He was. So, it's funny that these two guys were living in the same area, distilling whiskey at the same time. I wonder if they, they like, knew each other. They had to know each other, don't you think? Or, or if they ever met. I mean, they must have they at must least have. they must have at least known about each other. Oh, my God. Damn it. That's the second time I've done that. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, damn. I spilled water twice today. Um, with my big giant bear paws, but <laughs> I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm becoming more crotchety and curmudgeonous <laughs> and temper filled. Um, yes. I, I have some stories for the last couple of weeks where I'm a little concerned that I'm losing patience with the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Right there with you, bro. First, my smaller story. Today, I wanted to get a pedicure. Now, listen, guys, I understand that that seems to go into the face of drinking whiskey, which is a nice, big, burly, manly thing to do. Do shots of whiskey and then cut a tree down and build America. But um, <laughs> about eight to 10 years ago, I had my first pedicure. I was talked into it. And the ladies are keeping this a secret from us. But it wasn't easy, okay? So I go into a place, and I don't know if they really have an hour weight or they just don't want to touch my big, giant Fred Flintstone feet. You never really know because they kind of like make up their own rules. They look at you like, ah, no, it's busy. So then I go to another place. Can you come back in an hour? And I'm with somebody else who wanted a manicure and a pedicure. So I'm like, uh, yeah, all right, we'll make we'll we'll make an appointment. I'll come back at 11:30. And they're like, okay, good. And then they turn to the person with like, you come back at 12:30. I'm like, yo, I just said I can't do this. I walked out. I'm like, what? How is that working for you? What do you think we're going to come in stages to your place? Like either you have an appointment for both of us or one. So that's small. My small story. Uh, second story, I'm driving over to Scott's and we're in this intersection. It looks like the intersection in, um, what's that movie with Tom Hanks when he's on the island? Oh, um, Castaway. Yeah. At the end of Castaway, they're at the intersection that you can't, you can see for like 10 miles in every direction. Remember? Right, there's nobody there. Right. right. So I'm behind this car and we stop at that type of an intersection. <laughs> I can see five miles in every direction. There is nobody coming. They come to a complete stop. They sit there for a count of 1,001. 1,002, 1,003, and then they slowly turn right, which is the direction I want to go. And I'm behind them going, what the hell is wrong with you? What are you doing right now? Like, why are you, why are you in my way? Why are you alive on my planet? What is your purpose right now? Like, why would you take so long to ascertain that you can make the right turn? They came to a complete stop for all the police officers who listened to us, to my good friend in Arizona, Bob, you know who you are. A tremendous supporter of the Whiskey Tantra podcast. I respect the law and order. I understand coming to a complete stop, letting the car rock back on itself before moving forward. This car was sitting there parked for about two seconds before it decided to make a damn right turn. And, and I know everyone listening at home, it's three seconds of your life, Ed. Get over it. I know. You're right. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying in that three seconds time, I was at another level. I was. I wanted to jump out of the car, cut cut their car off when it turned, jump onto their hood, mm-hmm. punch through the windshield, mm-hmm. pull them out of their own car, and mm-hmm. then ask them politely, "What's your problem?" I wouldn't have asked them politely. I would have screamed "cunt" in their face. Right now, my third story is: I'm in Walmart. I have two packs of socks in my hand, and good. That sounds good. 
So I have two packs of socks and a pack of baby wipes for my granddaughter. I walk up to check out. Now this is Walmart. There's like 15 registers. Two are open. It is 3.30 in the afternoon. There's two lines to check out and there is a check out yourself line. Now you would think me with two packs of socks and baby wipes that that's what I would choose. I look at it. There's nine people lined up waiting to go into it, which means not all of them are working. There's probably like two working. So I'm like, all right, that's that's a nightmare. I'm not going over there. In front of me is one woman with a chihuahua in the cart and she's on the phone. All those elements are a nightmare to me. They're all a warning sign not to get in that line, but I am behind her a nice old couple with about 20 items and this weird guy with mismatching clothes and a weird baseball cap and his cart is about as stuffed as it can be <laughs> so i'm he's buying all the things right he's buying everything from walmart and i'm fourth i'm sitting there and i'm like all right you know what i only have to deal with his annoying order everybody else should be out of the way the woman in the front with the phone talking loudly and the damn dog she's almost done so i'm chill So then a second woman joins the first woman with like 10 items. Like she was like out shopping while this woman was holding the place in line and she got back late. Now I got 25 items in front of me with her. All the people in line look at each other like, wow, that was kind of a violation. But we're like, whatever. I look around. The self-checkout has not moved and the other line has not moved. I still feel like I'm doing good. Now we have the old couple. They have about 20 items. They get rung up real quick. So they have to pay. Now, for anybody over the age of 60 who's retired, let me give you a message. You have all day to drive, to buy stuff, to be out. All right. By three o'clock, be playing shuffleboard somewhere. Listen, I'm 51. I'm going to be with you soon. I guarantee you, I'm not going to be in Walmart in other people's way at 3.30. I'm going to be home drinking whiskey. Damn right. At the home with you and Gabe and Sergio. and Right. Whatever that amazing whiskey old folks home for whiskey drink. Oh my God, that's what we should do. We should definitely do that. We uh, Whiskey old folks home. All right, write that down. We'll, I'm writing that down right now. All right, she's swiping the card and swiping the card. And he's like, nah, it's not coming up. She swipes it again. And then he goes, wait, is there a chip? She goes, I don't know. And then he goes, oh, there's a chip. You have to insert it. How does she not know there's a chip? It's her first. It's 2019. It's, it's not her first. Con- no. It's her first no. day at Walmart and her first day in America. No. <laughs> it is. She's 90 years old or whatever, and it's her first day. Impossible. But she wasn't 90. She was like 75. Like she's fun- She should be functionally old, not 95, which is like decrepit. Right, right. Forgivably right, old. Right. right. There's functionally old and there's forgivably right. she's old. She's functionally old. Yeah. The husband looks like he knows what's going on, but she's like swiping away. He reaches over, reverses it, and stuffs it in the uh, slot. And then <laughs> this is what I hear her say. It says, do I want cash back? Really? Is this your first time using a, a fucking debit card in the store, lady? So infuriating. All right. They invented these like literally 15 to 20 years ago. It says I want cash back. What do I do? I'm not saying anything, right? I'm not saying anything. I'm chilling out, but I'm starting to feel it. So my first instinct is drop your shit and leave. None of it is essential. But then I go like for some reason, and that's what I would have done. And that's what I think most of you would have done. Like just drop. It's not essential. I don't need it today. I'm buying socks and baby wipes. There's 10 places with baby wipes between me and home if I feel like it's essential, and I don't need socks right now. I'm just being proactive. But for some reason, and I can't defend this, and, and nor do I know why, I say, nah, fuck that. I'm not leaving. I'm going to get my shit rung up. So now there's two people trying to get her to ring out. Now, I look over at the self-checkout. They've only moved up like two people. There's still six people in line to go in there. I look the other direction. That line has only moved two people. 
I can't go join that line. I'm still doing better off than both of them. And the rage bubbles up. And I look around. There's two guys from Walmart loading ice into the ice machine, having a loud, cackly conversation just to add to my irritation. As I glance to my right, there's three women with walkie-talkies and bright, like, yellow Walmart vests on just sitting around doing nothing. And I decide to announce to Walmart that they need to run their place better. So I say, just like this, Yo, Walmart, is this your first day in business? How much longer do I have to hold three items before you open up another goddamn checkout line? Is there a manager for this nightmare? Is anybody in charge of this nightmare? Now, the 20 people over in self-checkout look at me. The 10 people in my line are looking at me. The 10 people in the other line are looking at me. The seven Walmart employees have all turned to look at me. And there's like a three-second pause as long as it took that stupid-ass person to turn to just stare at me. No one says anything. I don't say anything. Again, is anybody in charge of this nightmare? And I hear, I can help the next person over here. (laughs) Nobody dares move. And I go, well, I guess that's me. (laughs) Well, you asked for it. And I walk over there and she rings up my three things. And she has the nerve to have an attitude, but not that much of an attitude because I'm waiting because I'm about to be like, don't have an attitude because I told y'all how to run your store. I think she played it right. Like she's a little, she's a little bit annoyed, but she's not too annoyed because she knows that you're going to go off on her if she's too annoyed. You're allowed to have whatever like shitty look on your face that you want to have, but don't you dare say a goddamn noise or breathe out some air. You just ring my shit up and let me out. God forbid if you sigh. That's right. I don't want a sigh or an eye roll from you where I will go the fuck off again. So that's my road rage story inside of Walmart. So I had a I had a rage uh, similar. I was late to work. I had a very important meeting in the afternoon that because I'm a procrastinator, I didn't read the material that I was supposed to read for this very high profile three hour meeting with like CEOs and my boss and my boss's boss and my boss's boss. That means boss's he didn't boss. reread it because he read it. I didn't read it that day and I meant to read it during the morning hours. So I'm going to work. I'm already late, didn't have good sleep, and I'm on route. 70. If you know Cherry Hill in New Jersey, Route 70 in the morning, it's nothing but stop and go traffic, stop and go, stop and go, stop and go, stop and go, which is fine if you're not frustrated for being late to work, which I was. So that was just adding to my frustration. Before I even got to 70 to turn onto the road, the light was green and there were several cars in front of me and nobody's moving. I had my radio up loud, but apparently seven fire trucks went by. So like when the light is green and no one's going, you rage. Oh yeah. So I'm already raging because I'm late. I rage because there's fire trucks. Then I get on 70 and I'm raging all the way down 70 to get to 295 to go down to Woodcrest Station to take the train into Philadelphia. So Woodcrest Station is only about like three miles down 295. 295 is a major road. It's a three-lane highway in two directions. But when I get to the exit for the train station, it's backed up all the way because they have been repaving the fucking entrance road to the train station for three fucking weeks. How long does it take to pave a road? I've seen it done overnight out here in front of my apartment. They did an entire major road, hundreds of cars per hour in rush hour. They did it in two days. Mm. Three weeks it's taken. Mm. I've been waiting at that fucking exit for three weeks. Mm. So that adds extra to my stress. It takes 10 minutes to get off the exit. That usually takes one minute. You get to the light, you cross over, and you go into the train station. But no, I'm late. Fire trucks, traffic off the exit. I get finally- It's the best part, everybody. To the parking lot. So I'm late, so there's no spaces in the parking lot. So I have to park out in the last fucking- 
parking lot that's farthest away from the train. It takes like seven minutes to walk to the fucking train. Power walking. I can see the train. I'm like, okay. So I'm walking really fast. I get there. Practically running. I'm practically running. I get there. I'm really mad about everything previously said. Puts the ticket through. uh, Put the ticket through. Up the stairs. And I just got got a new card and expected it not to work. I expected everything to go wrong, but it actually went fine. It worked. I walk up the stairs and I hear the bell ringing for the doors closing. Walks faster. So I walk faster. I get out the thing and the doors close in my face. In my face. I raged. Train is pulling away and I'm right next to it. Like feeling the breeze on my shoulder. <laughs> and I just pulled out my fingers, double middle fingers, and I screamed, fuck you <laughs> out loud like, for a minute. Like a crazy person. An entire 60 seconds All by over and over and over again. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I didn't tell you it was the best part. Then. <laughs> I heard people coming up and I sat down and I put my head in my hands and I went, what did you just do? (laughs) What is wrong with you? Remember, the next train is coming in 20 minutes. No, no. Five minutes. (laughs) The next train is five minutes away. So I raged for no reason. I just don't don't understand what happened. Like, why am I so angry about stuff? It's all Nixon's fault. Thanks, Obama. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Woo, um, all right. So, so summation yeah. is if, if if you've had days like that, just know that we we feel you. But I'll tell you the one thing that Scott and I have in common at the end of both of those experiences when we got home, we both drank a lot of whiskey, at least enough to give us that whiskey grin. Yep. So to nice. sum up real quick, Elijah Craig and Evan Williams, both yeah. under Heaven Hill, interesting both men from the same area of Kentucky, yeah. in the same distillery today, but probably not either of them the father. But both there at the beginning. Absolutely. We give them credit. We sampled their wares. I picked up the Elijah Craig today that we're drinking for thirty five ninety nine, And then Scott grabbed the Evan Williams small batch. What was that? It was $22. $22 for the Evan Williams small batch. Their flagship brand, I have to bring it up, <laughs> is the Heaven Hill White Label, a sour mash bourbon with the green writing on it. Doesn't it look like the bottle is like the Jim Beam bottle? It looks kind of Jim Beamish, like, but these, the, uh, the, the shape of the bottle is what he means. Yeah, the shape of the bottle. I picked I mean. it up today. Wasn't part of our plan for the podcast, but I said, let me pick it up because it was priced at, not on sale, eleven seventy three for a fifth of whiskey. That's just an astonishingly like, low number. I can't get a drink in the whiskey lounge for eleven seventy three. Right, you can't get a cocktail in Philadelphia for $11. Right. I had to buy it. And it was the first drink of the day for Scott and I. And I have to tell you, it's not dreadful. It's not It's bad. not great. It's not okay. great. It's better than Jim Beam. Sorry. If you ask me which one I had to drink on the rocks forever, I'd choose that $11 bottle right there. Also, if you go to a bar and you ask them what their well bourbon is and they say Heaven Hill, get that. Because it's not bad. It's going to be like five dollars a glass or Especially whatever. Especially if you're mixing it with ginger ale or you know Coke or Pepsi. Like just mm-hmm. in my case, I have family members who consistently steal my whiskey. I'm going to keep this around just to direct them at the Heaven Hill bottle for eleven dollars. <laughs> right, it's, it's deflection. Well, yeah, yeah. drink this. You can drink this for for a large size uh, bundle of toilet paper. You can have a bottle of whiskey <laughs> if. You know, it's like a, a divorce year, and uh, you got <laughs> got laid off, and you're on welfare. 
or unemployment, get the or, Heaven Hill. Or if you miss the train or the line is too long yeah, at Walmart. Get the Heaven Hill. It's a $12 bottle of whiskey. I mean, yeah. it still gets you drunk. Yeah, fuck it. We really appreciate you if you tuned in. And once again, find a nice spirit and have a drink on us or have a drink with us. And we'll see you next episode. Later. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to check out our next episode, which is way better than this one. Oh, yeah. Also, follow and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Whiskey Tangent. And follow us on Twitter at Whiskey Tangent. You can follow me personally at That Whiskey Guy. And follow Scott at Giant Cup of Awesome, spelled A-W-S-U-M, just to be annoying. Hey! You can email us any questions, comments, or love at whiskeytangent at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us always at our podcast website, whiskeytangent.podbean.com.